0: Thank you. You don't need to see his identification we don't need to see his identification these aren't the droids you're looking for these aren't the droids we're looking for he can go about his business you can go about your business move along move along move along wouldn't you love to have minus the fact that that's not a glorifying God so we're not following that example but wouldn't that be great to have that kind of influence right? you're driving down through Centerton in those 20 mile an hour zones where it seems like you have to almost pull the gas pedal the other way right, to to go that speed and then you get pulled over, you ignore the big sign they put over there that shows how fast you're going and the officer comes up and he says I'm going to have to give you a ticket and you say, you will not give me a ticket (laughs) and he says, I will not give you a ticket return back to your police car I'm returning back to my police car. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> think about at work. Okay, those of you that are bosses at work, you this, but think about your boss. You will give me a raise. <laughs> no matter what I do. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Well, that's not influence, but we are focusing on the red letters of Jesus and Matthew chapter 5 is one, one uh, place we'll go to today to, to focus on that. And we're looking at what Jesus taught directly from the, the red letters of Jesus. In, in our modern Bibles, uh, the Prince in Red. Uh, the, the title of the message today is Obi Wan Kenobi Influence. Now, see, there's a difference in, in the influence from the, that the Lord gives us is we can't control minds and we don't want to. God's given us free will. But here's the thing about influence so we, we can think of influence as uh, power. You know, if I was a uh, mayor of a town, I have influence. But that requires you rise into that level of authority to do that or, or to accomplish a certain level. But in the realm of Christianity, God has called us to be influencers, not to control minds or force people to do it, but to force them to a point of decision by the way we live. So, so it's not a matter of we're making the decision for them or that we're, we're controlling them, but, but ultimately God is the one who saves, not us. U- ultimately, we don't change the gospel, The gospel is what it is. They'll re- receive it or reject it. But it's our job to be influencers in this world and to push people by the way we live, not just by words, the way we live, to a point of decision, either to follow Christ or not. It is what God's desire that everyone have the opportunity to make that decision. And it's our role as believers to bring that point to them. I mean, yes, it'd be nice have that kind of influence you know have you ever known someone in your life who's an incredible influencer I mean sometimes good or bad but let's think of the good e- examples my uncle Herschel who's uh, um, the second oldest over my dad and his uh, siblings uh, he was president of Southwestern Assembly of God College for some time and his last pastorate he pastored at Woodlake Assembly in Tulsa now this is an affluent church and I mean by that there's a lot of uh, professionals and their doctors and lawyers. It's not a church that they would hire somebody that didn't have their doctorate in ministry because the level in which you need to communicate and all it's just a, a, a kind of an expectation. It's not that they're uppity or anything. It's just that's the congregation. Um, and so my uncle Herschel, very humble man, he he didn't put on airs. He would not show his, he wouldn't flaunt his knowledge or you wouldn't find him getting in great deal theological debates with you. Uh, but he had such a way of influence about him. One of the things told on him at his funeral um, that was true is all through the community, one thing he's known for is he would walk up to people and just in the most gentle way say, has anyone told you today that God loves you? Now, a lot of people can say that and say it gently, but with him, it just seemed to carry so much weight. You know, I, I think my brother Jim and My parents and the first service know. It's just it was something that was different. He could say it, but he said it with such influence because of the fact that he believed it so much to his core, knew it that when he said it, it it was just truth. God loves you, and it's not just a cliche saying. I remember when I was 16, I was allowed finally to drive my 1979 all black um, Toyota Supra. It was the older body style, and to me, it was the Miami Vice Ferrari Spider. To me, it looked just the same. And it was one of the new ones where it was one of the ones where you closed the door and the lights would dim down. That was new then. You know. <laughs> it had a straight V6 with standard, and I drove that thing like a Ferrari. And yes, I did. <laughs> and I had the big subwoofers in the back. You could bounce quarters on the top of the roof, yeah. And so I was allowed to go to Tulsa. My parents said, "You go to your grandma's house to visit her. You don't go drive around. you don't go anywhere but to Grandma's and back. OK. I get over there and I'm starting thinking, you know, 16 years old, and single guy, Woodland Hills Mall might have a lot of ladies there. So I don't tell Grandma that I'm not supposed to leave her house. Say, Grandma, I'm going to go for a drive for a little bit and come back. On my way to the Woodland Hills Mall or on the way back, I can't remember, I'm going down trying to take back roads so that, you know, trying to be safe and not paying attention, listen to my stereo, blow through a stop sign and T-bone a family in a car. Literally bent their car in a U-shape, sent us all to the hospital it was bad and the, the hospital was so busy that day they didn't have room for me I was out on a hospital bed and and I had been knocked out. There's a whole other story where I believe an angel was there I would tell you sometime but the, the point is is that my dad and mom had gotten notified but could not get a hold of me and find condition of, of where I was at so they were driving frantically like a hundred mile an hour from here to Tulsa. My uncle Herschel, now you have to understand my dad was known to be the scrapper of the family. Uncle Herschel used to have to come calm my dad down because if my mom broke up with him and dated somebody else, he'd be outside the house ready to fight him, you know. So Uncle Herschel was a peacemaker. He's always been, you know, walking in the room bringing the peace. I w- as I was coming around at the hospital, starting to kind of get my, my thoughts together, uh, I come in, I was upset. I was like, man, I'm in so much trouble. And the first person in there was Uncle Herschel at the hospital. And he'd come in, and he was just stroking through my hair. Said so, he said, hey, bub. That's how he goes. Don't worry. Everything's going to be fine. I said, oh, Uncle Herschel, I wasn't supposed to be going anywhere. I'm in so much trouble when my dad gets here. I said, I told him my car, I'm sure, and I don't know why I did those other people. Um, but we were all getting taken in at the same time. I was yelling at him, I'm sorry, you know. And uh, he said, it'd be right. He said, there's enough money in all the Brummett family. I'm sure it's going to be fine if, if, if there's a problem, you know. And uh, my dad comes in and says, son, whose fault was it? <laughs> it was <a laughs> but, but you know, Uncle Herschel was one. He, he, he walked in. Have you ever known anybody like that? They just had influence where they walk in a room. It's like peace comes in with them. And uh, so he was remembered by that even uh, to his funeral. You know, we we can we even realize that one of the biggest hindrances I see in the spread of the gospel is Christians who have no concern over the influence they have over others. Because God, when you have accepted Christ as your Savior, He is at full speed trying to form you and shape you into who He's created you to be and to get rid of all the stuff the world has come on you or or whether bad parenting or Or generational curses, which the Bible talks about. I mean, there's sometimes just families have had this generational curse, and I'm not one to focus on curses, but some things need to be broken, right? And so we fight these things, but God has this identity for you that even young people, you think you know you. You think because you know your most inner thoughts and everything that you know you, but God has created you something completely different than what you probably think of yourself. perfection is not required just but just to open our ears and our eyes and heart because god is always trying to illuminate to us who he's created us to be and we have to have a desire to improve and and the courage to not make excuses but to act some people are naturally just abrasive so so what i'm gonna what i want to talk to you about today is that that we need to stop and realize that we are not on autopilot as christians we didn't accept the Lord and then and then it's all up to Him to just transform us. But He's given us a free will. One of these things that we know, I I have I have a feeling that sometimes in our evangelical churches and even the assemblies of God, we've got Calvinists among us. Because I'll hear things like, Well, if you don't if you don't do God's plan, it's going to happen anyway, with or without you. Well, there's truth to that. But sometimes they carry the point like we can't mess up God's plan. Now his overall plan for redemption of man is coming. Revelation's written, it's coming. In the end, every knee will bow, every tongue confess, but Moses didn't go into the promised land, did he? Was it God's plan for Moses to go to the promised land? Would everybody agree? Was that his plan? Why didn't Moses go? For one act of disobedience, because he was in a higher level of responsibility, held accountable. Is Moses with the Lord? Yeah, we know from other scripture he's he's with the Lord. He didn't lose his spot in heaven over it, but there was consequences to that. So we, as influencers, called to be influencers in this world, we do have a part in whether we are influencing people in the right way or in the wrong way. Our attitudes, uh, experiences, uh, our raising, all these things are things that we have to battle and we're going to see this morning that that God is calling us to take an inward look always. That once we stop looking at ourselves and and studying ourselves to see are we following in what God wants us to do? Who is He wanting us to be? Some people too serious. You could tell them all the jokes you want to, and they're never going to crack a smile. You know this project has made me a little more serious at times than I want to be. Um, Jen knows I'm I'm kind of a crackup most of the time, but I can also be too goofy, and that can be an issue too. Uh, so we, we make these things out to be non-spiritual, but really when God's working to create the fruit of the Spirit in you, love, joy, peace, kindness, self-control, all these things. Oh, self-control. What are you controlling? Oh, that's the big sins, you know, sexual sins and drinking all that. No, sometimes it's bad attitudes. Sometimes it's terrible social skills. I, I had a friend one time that his mother came to me and said, thank you for being my son's friend. He's never had a friend his whole life, and he was in his 30s. But I could see that there has been a... L- but, but this was a a a kid that, when he was younger, his parents would talk about how smart his brother is and how dumb their other son was in front of them. You know, I, I talked about uh, at the Men's Breakfast and Bible Study that my boys, I'm having to be very careful that I don't let them say negative things about themselves. Not that Not that there's some kind of self-help guru thing going on here, but... If you keep thinking that you're defeated, you keep saying you're defeated, then God might be trying to give you the power to have victory, but you have just sold yourself out. And you will never, ever rise to the occasion when God calls you. So influencers, it requires of us to make decisions. Maybe you're too preoccupied. I laughed on the way to work. I love social experiments. Like sometimes on YouTube, i watch these things where... You know, they say that people are going through anxiety now if their cell phone is taken away for a while because we're so attached to them, they're always here, and that you can do a test. Next time, married folks, you're in the car, and maybe you don't need to check your phone or anything. Pay attention to driving. We come to stop sign, right? And your spouse is looking out the window or whatever. Pick up your cell phone, just look at it for a minute, see how long it takes for them to get their cell phone. It's uncanny that we, we feel like we're not part of something. You know, if somebody else has a preoccupied phone, we got to pick ours up too. Do it in a group setting. You'll see pretty soon you can have everybody looking at their phone whether they need to or not just by picking yours up and looking at it. We all want to have significance. And we the problem is, is that we are as easily influenced, not so easily influencers. We tend to follow better than we do lead. So if you have no disciples, well, they're Jesus' disciples, but if you have no one, you're discipling. The question I want to ask you is: Are they rejecting the gospel, or are they rejecting you? There's a difference. We're supposed to count it a blessing to be rejected for gospel's sake, but some people—it's like that meme I keep bringing up. It just kills me. As Pentecostals, I saw one on on Facebook said, "Nobody cares. Uh, nobody cares if you speak in tongues if you're mean in English." Isn't it true? How are you influencing people? Are, are people pushed away from you because of your, your lack of social skills or whatever it is? I'm not telling you to go to some self-help thing or some class to learn how to be better socially. I'm saying open your heart and your mind that maybe God is trying to chisel away at you and make you an influencer and there are certain things about you. I've known people, they talk too much. Nobody can get a word in edgewise. <laughs> and so me and Jen have to come up with a system. When we go out with people, I say you need to either kick me under the table or something, if I start talking too much and don't give them a chance. We rely on each other. Plus, she has a lot to say. That's great, and it cuts her out of the conversation. And I want her to shine because when I met her, I was used to being a brummet who everybody's in ministry, and I could walk in Assembly God Headquarters and be like, oh, you know. And I wasn't an elbow rubber. It just was nice that, you know, I had a great family that that was in ministry. Jen had worked in the missions department such a sweetheart that all the missionaries knew Jen and loved her and this first time that I dated somebody I walked in and everybody didn't notice me like Jen it's always a competition she she just whispered to Belinda it's always a competition it's true when we were both working at Walmart corporate office if she made a dollar more than me even if we're salary I'd figure out hourly I'm like and her hours I'm like you're making more than me and it is a competition but it's true it's always been a competition but it's, it's more of growing in the Lord to the point you can ask yourself those tough questions and not be afraid of them or afraid of, afraid of the answer to them is, am I hard to get along with? Do I wear people out? Am I abrasive? Because if God's going to create in me love, joy, peace, kindness, goodness, Patient, self-control if he's going to try to create those things in me if i'm resisting it by being stuck in my ways or maybe generationally from family member to family members has been passed down you know i talk with my hands everybody knows my mom does too that's where i got it you tie your hands and we'll be quiet right i say it with respect that's true I, and my mom's side of the family you, you, you know if i have to sit with my hands we have to realize that, that when Paul said, we're, we're real good about just saying little parts of a scripture and not looking at the full meaning and the heart and the weight of it. But I'll say it many times. Paul said, I want to be all things, all people. But if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we're going to look at some verses here before we get into the main text that's going to illuminate to you that Paul had a reason for wanting to be all things, all people. Paul wasn't trying to be cool. Paul wasn't trying to just be accepted in his culture. Paul wasn't just trying to be the hip minister with the skinny jeans, right? And the iPad. My jeans aren't skinny jeans by their definition, but they fit tight, so they're skinny to me. (laughs) But in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, so he says, For though I am free from all, what is he saying by that? For though I am free from all. I have made myself a servant to all. He's saying, I have a choice in the matter and I have the freedom. God's given me freedom because of free will that I can behave and act and do whatever I want and no one really has control over me. They can take my life, but they can't force me to be someone I don't want to be. They can't do anything to me beyond that. Who I am, it belongs to me. But he says, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. And there is his, purpose to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews to those under the law I became as one under the law though not being myself under the law that I might win those under the law uh, so young people what he's saying is is that God's laws there the Jewish people were so stuck on boy you just you just follow the rules now if you have a nasty attitude it's okay as long as you don't murder you don't lie you don't teach us you just checklist right Paul's saying because of my relationship with Christ, because I am a Christ follower, I have grace. I need to follow those because they are God's laws. But at the same time, that doesn't make my relationship with God or not. It's, it's that I've accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. His grace has covered my sin. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. Not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ. That I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became the weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by by all means I might save some. Verse 23, I do it all. Here it is. He sums up, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. Again, I'm going to hit on the fact that if you expect unbelievers to act as believers, you're going to be misled, mistaken, and disappointed your whole life. We are to be the ones that influence and God has called us to look at ourselves and say what is it in in us that may prevent the gospel from getting through. If we look at Matthew chapter 5 now that's where I wanted to focus as our main text. However when you get a chance read the uh, Matthew chapter 3 4 and 5 together because it sets up for you what's going on John the Baptist who has been there to point the way to Christ I mean, he is an influencer of influencers Uh, that talks about John the Baptist wearing this, you know, this hairy (laughs) coat and big belt. He lives out in the woods and eats locusts and he's like hardcore for God. And he has this following of people and and he's pointing to Christ and then Jesus comes along. And John the Baptist doesn't want to, but he baptizes Jesus because Jesus says you must do this. But the very first thing Jesus does is goes out and begins to get his disciples together. He doesn't say, look, the king's here, everybody bow. He says, now I gotta get people in action to go out and perpetuate what I'm here to teach. And the interesting thing about there is not a lot of dialogue. He walks out, guys fishing, and he basically like, hey, follow me, I'll make you fisher's men. And it just says they left and went with him. I don't know this guy, but I'm just gonna stop my job and leave. And a couple of them are with their dad. Yeah, see you, dad. I'm gone. Amazing influence. There was no forcing. There was no mind control. It was just simply who he was caused people who had their hearts in a place of desire to know God to follow. And he said greater things will do after he's gone. God has called you to be the most incredible influencer. But what are you doing about it? That's the question this morning. I remember praying prayers at 14 years old. Even God, just make me the best husband, make me the best dad I can be, and I still fail. But I ask Him, help me influence my family and influence others. I've never been in a position of power. When I was at Walmart, I was an asset protection, and I led a team that we went after money that had been lost due to criminal activity, and and it was exciting. There's some great things we worked with U.S. Secret Service on on uh, seizing assets that that groups had um, uh, you know stolen from the company, and so we were able to get that back. And you know, we we'd. Have a Dodge. Char- I remember a Dodge Charger. We were trying to get across country to an auction. It was kind of odd for us to get physical things, but we we'd got that, and um, and we we just we had a lot of fun. And I've never been in like a a, a position of great in, um, power. I was lower level management, but but during my years at Walmart, even though I wasn't in charge of you know a, a huge project or a, a whole department. I was always seemed to have influence when I allowed the Lord to work on me. Some of you have been worn out by some of the stories, but I mean, I just, I can't, I can't get away from this fact that there is so much power in in the church to mobilize when we become influencers in our jobs, in our homes, in our community. I mean, there are people who I worked with Walmart that we still have conversations about the Lord. They contact me. I have one guy that when he's faced with issues at work, he calls me and says, pray with me and, uh, you know, maybe the Lord will speak to you and help me. And it's not, a, it's not a bragging to me. It's that those times were tough for me because I was so in turmoil about being called to ministry and working there that I was just desperate for God to do something in my life. And it put me in this position where I'm looking at myself saying, am I doing what's right, God. Am, am I reacting to people right? Uh, are you wanting to make me a minister? What do you need to do to me? And I'm just just constant reflection over how I'm interacting with people, how I'm acting. And it was just this sweet spot that God had me in where he could operate and move and change me. And he'd prepare me to be pastor here. But God has, whether you're going to be a pastor a missionary or a layperson in your business, he's placed you there strategically. He has created your path and he's taken even the things the devil is trying to mess you up with even abuse from uh, parents or loved ones all those things he didn't bring them on you he didn't wish them on you he he wanted to protect you from them what the enemy meant for destruction he's turned for good but he wants you to use what he's given you to influence others and some of us will hide behind those hurts and we'll throw a wall up to protect us from people or from rejection or whatever And God's saying, those are the most powerful things you have. I'm ready to turn the switch to where people literally will follow you. Uh, In his book, Has Christianity Failed You? Uh, Ravi Zacharias, a Christian apologist. I watch a lot of his YouTube videos. um, You can find him on there, Ravi Zacharias. He says, he points to one of the greatest proofs for the truth of Christ and the reality of his resurrection is this the changed lives of Christians. He says he's, he, he writes that he's traveled to virtually every continent and seen or heard some of the most amazing testimonies of God's intervention in the most extreme circumstances, from people in prison and addictions completely changed and turned around. He's seen added followers of radical belief systems, even terrorists who have killed people and mass murder. He's seen them becoming mild Tenderhearted followers of Jesus Christ. The most powerful thing is the changed life of the believer. He said, I've seen nations where the gospel was banned and silenced by governments, but nonetheless conquered the ethos and mindset over an entire culture and the underground church is formed. That, that when Christ is in charge of your influence, there is nothing stopping you. He gives many examples of Christ's power to transform, but one really stands out, A.N. Wilson, a noted atheist, a British author. He is known for his scathing attacks on Christianity, but he finally gave his heart to the Lord. And what A.N. Wilson says, what got him, was not some high-powered leader that he's met that was a Christian. He said it's just the common people around him that were living their lives quietly for the Lord, but living it in such a way it influenced him. To believe he said some of them in the face of their own tragedy the way they lived out their life influenced him in matthew chapter five and this is actually going to be in, in kind of wrapping and closing matthew chapter five verses thirteen through sixteen this is you know the sermon on the mountain jesus blessed are the weak blessed are the meek blessed are those who suffer they'll be comforted and then and then as part of that sermon he's matthew chapter five verses thirteen through sixteen it says, you're the salt of the earth. But what is good? what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? You see back then, salt was very valuable because meat, they didn't have air, uh, air conditioning and they didn't have refrigerators. And if you wanted your filet and your New York T-bone steak to last, you had to rub the salt in it. And salt wasn't always the same quality. Dead sea salt was high quality, very, very salty, pure, lasted a long time, was good. No impurities in it, but they had salt that came from marshes. And those marshes had other impurities in it. In fact, sometimes people, to, to make more money, they would, they would uh, put gypsum in with the salt, which would take away some of the flavor, give it a, a lesser flavor. They actually paid soldiers. And the Latin word for soldier actually comes as derived from that action of paying them in salt. So it was very valuable and so it says you're the salt of the earth but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor can you make it useful again it will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless you are the light of the world like a mountain uh, like a city on a mountain glowing in the night like when you if you've flown and you come over where there's a bunch of darkness and then you see a city all these little lights but it's not just little lights you see the glow all the way to the heavens it seems what a difference that light makes Verse 14, you're the light of the world like a city on a mountain glowing in the night for all to see. Don't hide your light under a basket. Instead, put it on a stand and let it shine for all. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. And so, so when we look at this, here, here's here's something interesting to think about. Why is he using salt, which is a it's a, Preservation, right? Of valuable things, really. The meat, food, sustenance. It's a preservative. It's not gold, really, to spend like gold. It's it's the only good salt was 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 valuable was to preserve the food, which was life sustaining. It's almost like when he's saying you're salt to earth. He's saying you're sometimes the only thing that gives people a chance before my judgment comes. You you may be the only thing keeping their world from completely coming apart, and my judgment to fall on their family or them that i placed you in that workplace i placed you in the family you're in because there are choices that some of them will make that you are the only thing preserving them from the judgment of god you look at lot in sodom lot standing in the gap for people who don't even believe for acting acting wickedly we 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 right now we will bash people for acting like that right I mean, there's a lot of churches that will bash people for acting like what they're doing in Sodom and Gomorrah, but lots saying, if I can find so many righteous people, will you spare the city? And they have this whole dialogue. God's plan happens no matter what. No, we ain't even influence our Heavenly Father. He's given you free will. He loves you. You're his child. And when something touches your heart, like someone who needs him, he stops and takes notice. And he'll actually stop and talk to you about it. Yeah, I would spare them if if you can find that many righteous people. Some of us will take the aspect, well, God knew there wasn't, and so he's like he's not wasting anybody's time having a silly conversation. He takes concern. What we need to realize is that we get focused on church attendance when we have empty seats, but we're not talking about church attendance. It's important because if somebody comes becomes a believer, they need this. I'm more concerned are we doing everything we, can, everything we can to influence all those we have outside these walls. You don't have to raise your hand but if, if, if the time in worship today refreshed you, built you up, encouraged you, strengthened you, which it did for me, then why wouldn't we want to share that? Because what God's doing is he's giving us the opportunity, he's preparing us, he's equipping us to maybe be the one thing that's going to keep someone from everything falling apart in their life. When we walk out those doors. New songs visions always been to reach the lost sons and daughters those people for whatever reason have uh, fallen away from the Lord we, we are going after those who have never heard the gospel but but our main focus what this church was created in God's wisdom. I don't understand at all in the Bible Belt of all places to plant a church among all the other churches you think everybody's got covered right. <laughs> Why don't we just be a part of that church It'd save everybody's money and. You know, we could all be with more people, but he specifically called us out to reach lost sons and daughters, people that because of the busyness around here Walmart and Tysons, all these things, they whatever they disconnected, they let the business of life pull them away. And that's what we're here to be a be salt, to hold off God's judgment from them being separated from him or from them separating themselves from God's will in their life and to go after them. But very specifically, God started speaking in my heart years ago as I became pastor that at one time we were just pretty much mostly blue-collar workers, this church. But I th- God told me, he said, "You're going to influence the influencers. Those people in city leadership and others." That was before I'd made a relationship with Mayor Bill, and I almost couldn't help it. Some of y'all remember when we had the apartment complex fires, and I told Mayor Bill just one conversation, said, you ever need anything any time of day or night? You call me. That's what we want to do. We want to be that for the city." You call me personally or for business he called me like four or five in the morning on a Sunday morning and he said we've had a fire in town we've got a bunch of donations of clothes. we need a place to be able to for the victims to come and get clothes. Some of y'all remember we had worship out in that foyer because we only had on a Wednesday night because we only had like 20 people on Wednesday nights then, and, and we had clothes stacked almost to the ceiling and tables this whole room all the way from one of the building stacked and they had so much donations so much outreach we left it open for a whole week as a free store to people come in and shop if you're here, there's one lady came in and, and her heart was turned away from God and we were in there playing worship and Wednesday night and she came and closed the door and said, I don't want to hear that in our own house, right? I went and opened the doors again. I was like, you need to hear it. No, I didn't say that. But, but God has called us to influence influencers and then we went to build our house three years ago and we were looking to rent and we looked at several places and finally decided one, come and find out Mayor Bill was our neighbor right across the street. We built a wonderful relationship. It's taken years, but God has done it. It's been so obvious to us. We know every time we turn around God God will speak things in you when you or you put the receptors up and say, "Who do you want me to be?" I know who I'm comfortable to be. I know who I like to be. I know that I like to watch the war movies and be the tough guy. you know that's what default. I want to be the guy that can protect my family and forget anybody else. We'll move off in Alaska in the wilderness and survive, you know. that just you know what God do put me in the Bible belt in a church we're going to be ministering lots of school children right and and to those that are in foster care and adoption and so you have to ask yourself the question I know what I want I know what I like I know what's comfortable me and he'll use some of that but God what do you want what kind of influencer do you want me to be who are you calling me to who have you put in my path when you go into work tomorrow I challenge you. You look around the faces and stop, stop thinking of them and all the stuff you don't like about them or the challenges or gravitating just people you like and just take a wide view of who God's put around you and say, okay, on my mission field, I'm the salt, so I'm holding off judgment on some people here. Where's my mission? God, who do you want me to be? Help me influence them. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, from your word that we're able to stop, step back, with the business of everything going on, with all of our challenges, with all of our wants, our desires, our own goals, God, what are you calling us out to, to do? We already know Paul said that he, he could do what he wants, but he chose to be all things to all people. To serve them was the purpose. Not to fit in, not to be cool, not to just have more friends, not to just fill seats in a pew, uh, or fill seats in a church, but God, he did it. His whole purpose was that he might win some for the gospel that they would not perish but have eternal life. And Lord, I pray that you shift our motivations if they need shifted. You bring us back around. You narrow our focus to your plan. Begin to expand our borders and let us see all that you place around us, the divine appointments. Lord, even being placed here at this church when there's churches in every corner, we have to ask ourselves, God, what are you doing? And what is your plan? You've created me to be an influencer, to be salt. So what are you sending me to do? And I'm willing to serve them. I'm willing to give up my rights of my free will. Surrender all to you. Everything and nothing less. I'm ready, Lord. In Jesus' name. Let's just sing this. As we get ready to be dismissed, let's just sing what Ken is playing here. Take control. I trust.